this uh, series that we're doing right now, um, uh, Power of Words, um, or not words, but the power of, basically, uh, is this idea of the things that are very powerful in our life. Uh, last week, we talked about the power of words. Um, and uh, the, whole, the whole point of this thing is so that we can address, there are certain things that I think we navigate through on a daily basis that are just sensitive things. Uh, and the, the, we started with uh, the power of words because, uh, because we talk to people every day. <laughs> and uh, that's something that's going to happen. It's going to come up um, through social media. We write uh, to people now on a larger scale of audience. And uh, our words matter because they directly represent our heart. Uh, by the way, there are no such thing as idle words. How many times have I heard, I didn't mean it? No, everything that comes out of your mouth, unfortunately, you're going to hell to be accountable for. That's just how it is, the good or the bad. Man, I can't tell you how many times I told my mother I hated her. How horrible is that? It's a horrible kid thing to do. Uh, now, does it mean I was having a great time in the middle of that? Obviously, I wasn't having a great time. I don't know in the scheme of things, do I really hate my mother? No, I don't hate my mom. At the time, it just felt like the right thing to say. Praise God that my mom let words like that float right off of her. At least right after the belt she did, you know. <laughs> There's no such thing as out of words. We got to be responsible for what comes out of our mouth because the Bible tells us that we'll be held to, accountable to every single word. Every single word we say. And this is just really like good old-fashioned biblical discipleship, a wise godly practice. Uh, I mean, you can choose not to practice governing your words and you can see the results of your life of what happens, you know. Uh, but uh, I think it's just, I think it, when we pursue changing our heart, when we pursue this idea that we're going to speak in a way that is godly, that is wise, uh, we're going to find out that we can't strong will or make our hearts submit, right? It's just we're going to find out that you can't strong will your mouth. If that was the case, we'd all know when to shut up. But how many times have our mouth got the better of us, right? But what I think we'll find out, you know, as when we talked about last week is that we'll find the transforming power of the Holy Spirit within us. Lord, I failed to do this. My confession is that I struggle in this. And in my prayer and in my pursuit for Jesus, what I will find out is that Jesus in me conquers it, right? As Jesus conquers my heart, as he overtakes me, as he plunges me deep within him, right? I find that my heart changes. And as my heart changes, my tongue just automatically changes. There was a time I used to say in the Marine Corps where every third word was the F word, it just was. It's interesting when I hear other military guys talk. I see them all the time out at the park, and I can always, they're like, oh, you're military. Oh, did you see my tattoo? No, it was the every third F word that you used. <laughs> yeah, that's a common military thing, you know. And then he laughed, and he said the same thing that I said, you know, used to say is like, I'm pretty sure that we would have briefings where we would count how many times somebody could say the F word. And because that's how much it would be said. It would be so obvious. Like, does this guy know any other word to describe anything? I mean, like, and, and it's, it's the power of the tongue. But you know what? As Jesus began to overtake me, as Jesus began to settle inside me and begin to change me, I didn't have to go, you know what? I'm just going to quit cussing. Yeah, good luck with that. What happens is I'm just going to pursue Jesus. And the more I pursued Jesus, the more these things just changed. And I didn't have to go, this is how it's going to be. I'm going to strong will this thing into, no, God began to transform me. And as God began to transform me, my mouth just automatically transformed. Again, it's just good old-fashioned biblical discipleship, and I'm going to move us forward this week uh, under the same banner. This morning, I want to talk to you about forgiveness. 
It's a hard subject, I know. Why? Because uh, pain causes us to be selfish. When we are in pain, our natural reaction is to think only about ourselves. That's just how it is. Because we're hurting. We're hurting. We don't really want listen, I just need my pain taken care of, and then I can deal with everybody else. But until my pain is gone, I, can't, I have a hard time dealing with anybody else, right? Because like it or not, we become selfish. Whether it's because, listen, we, we've all experienced what it is to hurt, whether it's physically or even emotionally or mentally, and whether it's because of what someone has said, whether it's because of what someone has done to us, we usually don't want to forgive people who hurt us. <clears throat> that's not, not necessarily something that's just so easy. Our heart doesn't like being hurt, period, right? Physically or emotionally, right? Who can blame you? No, nobody likes that. Nobody wants to be hurt. Uh, you, you've been hurt before. We've all been hurt, and we can all relate to uh, having hurt someone else. Sad truth right there, especially if you're parents. You already know you've said things you probably regret. It just happens out of anger, out of pain. However, if you never forgive, if you never forgive, you stand to deal with something far worse, bitterness. Bitterness. You know, bitterness is bondage. It's, it's a prison. Uh, bitterness is what the heart wants to fall into once it's been hurt. It wants to close itself off. It wants to constantly recall that hurt over and over again to make sure that you never walk back into being hurt again. Right? Bitterness doesn't forgive. It internally destroys. And therein lies the self-destructive side of bitterness. Bitterness only hurts you. It only hurts you. You know what the other thing is? Bitterness is self-imposed. It's self-imposed pain. It means you're choosing to live in pain because somehow it makes you feel safe or it makes you feel good, which is messed up. All right? I, I like to always describe it. This is the best way I can describe it, and this is my analogy. And It could be good. It could be bad. You just you, you take that for what it is. Here's my analogy. Say so, you've had a friend. You've had somebody that you care deeply about uh, with their words or whatever. They take a metaphorically a knife. They stab it into your back. That is not your fault. You've been stabbed now in the back. It is not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong to have be stabbed in the back. Now, if you forgive, forgiveness looks like taking that knife out, walking. It doesn't, forgiveness, by the way, doesn't mean like we're all best friends again. Forgiveness means I pull the knife out. I'm going to forgive you so that I can move on. Right? Bitterness says I'm leaving the knife back in there so that I never forget this happening so I never have anybody else do this again. And what happens is this. Since you walk around hurting all the time because you left the knife and you chose to just be hurt all the time, you have no other friends because you can't have any other friends because that knife is constantly in your back reminding you of how you, th this could possibly happen at any given moment. And every time you walk and, oh, I reached out, well, I felt the pain of that tear of the muscle because I left the knife in, it's self-imposed hurt. You're choosing now to live in hurt. That's not the other person's fault. That's yours. Bitterness is when is the pain you receive after the, since you decide not to forgive somebody. And really it's yours. That's yours. Bitterness doesn't come from someone else. Hurt comes from someone else. Bitterness comes from when you hurt yourself. Because you could pull that knife out and live in forgiveness and move on from your life and let go of some of those people like that. If, if they're going to spend more time hurting you than helping you, it's okay to let those people go. That's all right. That's, not un like you, that's how you love some people. You got to let them go. You love them like, man, 
You realize, like Paul said in his life, you know, that there, the way we kind of do ministry, the way we understand discipleship, even in Christ, as we're witnessing to people, Paul said, man, Paul said it like this, and in the church, we, we make it sound as if it was a bad thing. Paul says, man, I wiped the dust from my feet. I tried to witness them. I tried to help them. I got I to gotta move on. But it never meant Paul just, well, I don't like them people. It never was like that. Paul's like, I love them. I wish they could hear it, but they didn't hear it. So that's, I, can't, I can't hang out. I've got to move on to the ones who do want to hear right? So it's okay to move on to someone who cares about you and loves you and go, well, that didn't work out. That's okay. I forgive them. You know, there's no hurt behind us now. If, they, some, if, they, if something was to change in their life and they've decided to become more productive or, 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 or more godly or wise, then absolutely I'm, I'm here to welcome them back in. But until that happens, uh, I'm going to keep moving and looking for those who can edify me, grow me, encourage me, and lift me up. Nothing wrong with that, right? But when you live in bitterness, it, it, only, it only hurts and affects you. Ephesians 4, 31, 32, you don't have to turn here. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Notice the Bible didn't say when you are bitter. It just jumps to the fact that all of us are going to be filled with a measure of bitterness at some point, a measure of anger, a measure of rage, harsh words, because that's what comes from bitterness when you're in pain, right? Slander, because all of a sudden you got to talk bad about that one who's hurt you. The irony right there is that you become the very worst thing, that you become the thing that you hate. Ooh. Mm. Uh, I remember a pastor that once said, you know why David was paired up with Saul? So that he would know what he never, he should never become. Some of you, God's put people in your life that hurt you, so you'll know what not to be. And you thought, well, that's the devil in my life. Maybe it was God's sovereignty, and why you are hurting and you're suffering, and you hate the whole idea of it. But God just showed you of what not to be. He also showed you how to deal with it, how to overcome it, how to walk through it. And you know what you get to do now, the rest of your life, is show people how to forgive, how to walk through bitterness. That becomes your testimony. Well, you don't have to live in bitterness. All of a sudden, that comes out of your mouth. You can move on. You can forgive someone. Hey, that's in your past now. But what does God list as the cure? He says, be kind. He says, forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness is the key to happiness. I'm telling you, forgiveness is the key to peace. It's the key to love. <clears throat> so I'm going to share with you a brief series of scriptures about the Apostle Peter. And you might have heard this story before. But it's important that we discuss with this topic. Um, and I'll set up the, the, the scene real quick, and then we're going to pray, and then we'll get into the Word of God. Um, so this, the, where we're going to begin, uh, uh, just to kind of give you the heads up if you want to turn there, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. So I know we've heard this before because I've gone over it before a little bit. But in this application of talking about forgiveness, that we, we, we really need to be here um, so this is the night they'll come and they're going to take Jesus. All right. This is the night that Judas will betray him with a kiss. On this night, all of the men that Jesus calls his friends are going to run. There's friends. Jesus being God understands what this is, you know, what's about to happen. But let me remind you, yes, Jesus was all God, but he was also all man which means he experienced the same pains emotionally, physically, psychologically that we do. How would you like it if all of your friends, who swore allegiance to you, by the way, 
uh, abandon you when you need them the most. And this is, this is what he is facing. Okay, before we read the scripture, let's, let's pray that God would give us the wisdom to hear what he wants us to hear this morning. And uh, especially, this is a topic that all of us deal with, whether it's through family issues or friends, or it, maybe not yet, but it's going to happen, right? Uh, but, but, you know, even I found that even when I was a youth pastor, that uh, teenagers, uh, they have a struggle at forgiving as well. And it shapes a lot of the rest of their life and how they deal with it. Um, I can only imagine as adults what it does to us. Let's pray. Father, um, as we get into this uh, meaty um, subject, Lord, of forgiveness, God, uh, I know the weight of it because I see um, your son on the cross forgiving others. Father, um, let us grasp the picture of that. That even though our sin would cost your son, he walked to the cross with forgiveness in his heart. It's powerful, Lord. God, may we get a glimpse of the forgiveness we receive in you this morning so that we see your glory and your power through your Holy Spirit, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at uh, Mark 14. We're going to start around verse 27. Verse 27. Say amen when you're there. Amen. All right, I like it. it. says this, You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, listen, Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered today, yes, before the rooster crows twice you yourself will disown me three times peter but peter insisted emphatically even if i have to die with you i will never disown you and all the others said the same we'll stop right there all the others said the same now hear me out don't don't say any names or even you know speak anything out loud but you think about someone who is your absolute best friend, or uh, uh, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's someone you're thinking about in your past, but think about this in your head. Uh, picture them uh, in your mind, and, 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 and now imagine them betraying you. Imagine them betraying you. The person you regard as your closest, they've been with you through thick and thin. I mean, the apostles were there for three years, sleeping next to him, sharing food, sharing drink. Um, they had shared of the same cup. Uh, I mean, come on. They'd ate off the plate. It says John laid his head against Jesus' chest. And then now imagine these guys betraying. I know that they said they would do anything, right? But this is about to be life and death. I mean, this is what Jesus is facing. Peter, his best friend, his loyal companion, Peter, who has been with him through thick and thin so far, who was the first one to say it out loud, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Right? Jesus says, man, Peter, you're the rock. I'm going to build my church. This friendship is going awesome. Right? I... You're the one who believes in me. You're telling me that upon me, my idiot fisherman self, that you're going to build whatever you're building. I am all in. I'm all in. 
what they should say is, I'm all in till it gets hard. And Peter loves Jesus with all of his heart. And in the same fashion, um, Jesus loves Peter with all of his heart. But let me interject here and say that you never know who your friends are until something devastating happens. I want to be funny here and say, like, wait till you paint your house. Let's see how many friends come over then. But you don't even know who you are until you've been in the fire. Mark 14, look at verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without any human hands. But even then they couldn't get their story straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer for these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand, coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered, and the guards slapped him as they took him away. Here's where your friends come in and save the day, right? This is the moment, man. If there was ever a moment you needed your buddy. Peter's right there, man. Where's big, strong Peter? I mean, they said they would do anything. They said, if, even if it's prison, I'm gonna go, even if I will die for you, I'll do anything, right? This is the moment. This is when you come in and you save your friend. It's what everybody says, right? everybody's like, I mean, when you're a kid, it's like, man, we're best friends, man. I'm always going to be there for you. Uh-huh. Look at verse 66. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire and looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway, just then a rooster crowed. And when the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the bystanders confronted Peter and says, you must be one of them because you're a Galilean. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. Can I tell you that there are other uh, gospels that record at that moment that his eyes and Jesus' eyes locked? You ever seen the passion for the Christ? You seen that moment when that happens? And he looks over and he sees Jesus? It's the, I, honestly, I know like I was supposed to cry at the whole crucifixion part. Can I tell you that's the moment I just bawled my eyes out? That moment where you just know you're looking face to face with the God you let down. Right? I swore that I never would, even though he knew it, right? 
And Jesus had his heart prepared, right? But I, you ever been so sure? I'm sure I'm never going to let you down. And then that one time that's so tough and you're worried about saving your hide over your friend. You're watching him get beat, this guy that you love dearly. And self-preservation kicks in. And can you imagine the fallout there? Why is Peter crying? Because he intentionally, he intentionally denied ever knowing Jesus. He denied the Son of God, and he's the one who said it. He's the one who knew it. The man whom he pledged his life to, the man who he had pledged his friendship to. And night became morning, and there is Peter weeping by the time he hears the rooster crow, right? Just like Jesus said it would happen. Mark Batterson, pastor of uh, National Community Church in Washington, D.C., tells the same story, and he talks about this, and he reminds us of the guilt and the condemnation that must took place every time Peter heard that rooster crow. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a psychological study called echoic memory. Uh, there's, there's iconic memory and echoic memory. Iconic memory is when we see something like, uh, man, that beautiful Mustang out there, right? Reminds you of being a kid. It does. It does me because we had a bunch of people when I was growing up that had old Mustangs and stuff like that. And some of these old vehicles, they remind me of being a kid. I see them and I'm immediately taken back to a memory, right? You ever seen someplace like I go back to when I'm in uh, Kaufman where I grew up, I'll see something like the courthouse, which is iconic for Kaufman. And immediately I remember, oh, man, I remember when we used to ride around here and there used to be a movie theater over here and we would always get in. You, you, you had to be 18, but there, nobody, like, I, I don't know who worked there, but you never had to be 18. I saw Friday the 13th, a horrible horror movie at like 12. They'd let anybody in. I mean, you know, like, like that's, but that's an iconic memory, right? I go there, I see it, I remember immediately, right? You ever, you ever like listen to a song and you're like, I totally remember, I was driving, like for me, I'm East Texas back road guy, so I'm like, I remember this song, I was driving the back roads of this song, it reminds me of having the windows down on early Texas morning and you know it's like it's echoic it, it takes I hear it and my mind starts moving and it creates memory so that every time I hear this song right I'm I'm, I'm, I'm totally taken there and uh, Mark Batterson talks about how this study it triggers memory right I don't know have you had that happen to you right where you've heard the radio it triggers it right specific time can you imagine now what Peter must have felt every time he heard the rooster crow after you fathom that? Like, hey, guess what, Peter? Every day the rooster's going to crow. Every day. You get to live in that now. Churn that old bitterness up, right? And who are you mad at? Yourself, which is even worse. It's even worse. Because you know what you did. And every time you hear the rooster crow, you get to be reminded now of what you did. Every morning. Every morning. You know, day one goes by. Remember, Jesus in the grave, right? Listening to that rooster. Day two, right? Even day three. Come on. Every time that rooster would sound off, can you imagine the hurt and the pain all over again? Bitterness trying to creep in the heart, trying to justify itself in betraying God. Well, I, I didn't have a choice. Well, I just... I, I mean, I was going to die. I mean, how would his dream live on if I die? And you're, you're saying everything to yourself to try to justify what you did. And man, and if the story ended here, wouldn't be much hope. John 21, and one, you don't have to go there. 
It says, later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee, and this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing. At what time? At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, well, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. And so they did, and they couldn't haul in all in the net because there were so many fish. Then the disciple Jesus loved. I love that. I love John. He never had that problem, did he? I know Jesus loves me more than everybody. Right? Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. I love how he did. Bring some fish. I'm dragging all of them. Like I'm all 153 is what it said. 153 large fish. There's seven of you, Peter. <laughs> it was a long night. <laughs> and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. Now some of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus had asked Simon Peter. So it was at dawn, and it was after breakfast. He comes to Simon Peter says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than all of these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, and you know I love you. And feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Then Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Well, then take care of my sheep. Jesus said a, a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked him a third time. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> it's funny how, like, it didn't sound like something hurtful. It's funny what God can say to us and just turn us. Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Three times, Jesus asked Peter if he loves him. Peter responded every time with, you know that I love you. Three times, Peter denied Jesus. Three times, Peter gets his chance to tell him that he loves him. And did you see what time of day it was? It was the dawn. The scripture says they were having breakfast. Um, I don't know about you, but what time do the roosters crow? Yeah, Jesus corrects the moment. He corrects the moment. And think about it. For the couple of days, you hear that rooster crow, and you're just reminded of everything. You're probably up fishing all night because you can't sleep, thinking about what you've done. Bitterness already working on him. Hating himself, which is the worst kind, right? Hating himself, loathing himself. And he can't sleep at night, so he's up all night. I might as well do something productive. I'll, I'll go out and fish and we'll do anything but make my mind have to think about what I've done. Sound familiar? And i got to listen to that stupid rooster every morning. And then Jesus comes in and goes, we're going we're gonna to course correct that. All right? 
So I'm going to bring you out here. And the interesting thing is, uh, is what's happening between him, right? Well, you know, we, can, we, we get the three times he asked him and three times. We get that, right? But what is really being said, I, you know, I forgive you, Peter, right? Like I hadn't stopped believing in you. Like, I knew it was going to happen, bro. It's okay. Like, I, I was prepared. I had my heart right. I knew that this was going to be a lot for y'all. I knew this up front, right? I knew what I was asking, right? And he's, he's basically telling Peter, it's okay. I love you still too, right? It's like this, this conversation that's not happening while this other conversation is happening. And, and God, just like that, is switching things around so that now, every time he hears the rooster crow, what's he remembering? The forgiveness that Christ laid upon him. I know what you said. And I know that out of your words, right? Like first week, right? This is life and death. You said you would never. And even though I tried to correct you then and try to make you feel different, you said you would never. And you have this thing now that every time you hear it, but we've got to correct that, Peter. We're going to heal that. We're going to change that. And just like that, it went from the rooster crowing being a signal of betrayal to becoming a signal of forgiveness. And just like that, it goes from a moment of cringing to a moment of rejoicing. Changed the whole thing. Echoic memory. Echoic memory. Jesus forgives Peter. And the proof? Jesus hanging on the cross. He died for Peter. So that he could be recovered in that moment. Peter would go on to be the rock. Right? By the way, you know what that shows you? You can make mistakes in life. It's okay. Don't be, don't be defined by them. And don't let your mistakes keep you from pushing forward. There's forgiveness in Christ. When we love Christ, you notice that Peter never asked. Peter never goes, Lord, will you forgive me for doing what I did? There's no confession. Shouldn't there have been? What I love is that there was. It was happening here. Jesus understands you're human. Isn't that awesome? That forgiveness was happening without having to ask, right? Because inside, he knew Peter's heart. I know you love me. I know you said something for which you could not do. You spoke. That's why if you look in the Bible when it talks about giving your word for something, it says you're better off not promising anybody anything. You know, I have a tendency, what I've learned in ministry taught me this. I don't promise anything to anybody. I say, if I can, I will. But it's only if I can. I never try to promise anybody anything because that's a scary place to be as a Christian because the first time you don't keep up on your promise, especially if people know you're Christian, they're going to say, look at that Christian. He's a hypocrite. He told somebody he was going to do something, and then he didn't do it. That's the first thing they're going to say, irregardless. There's this quiet thing that happens between him and Peter. How do you know that you are forgiven? from the things that you said, because the proof is in that Jesus hung on the cross. He has forgiven you. Live in it. Live in it, right? He hung there so that you could walk in it. Walk in forgiveness. So that you could walk in kindness. So that, so that you could walk in peace and in joy and in love, right? Because the truth is, we're all Peter. All of us are. At one point or another, we've all portrayed Christ, with our tongue, with our speech, with our actions, right? We've all betrayed our maker, our creator. We've all betrayed him at some point. And yet he loves us enough to go to the cross and redeem us. He knew the things that we were going to say and do now even. He is God. 
And yet he's forgiven us. And in that forgiveness, we can find strength to forgive others. Conquer bitterness. So that we might live according to how we were created to live. Being kind to one another. Being tender-hearted, forgiving everyone just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Lastly, and we'll, uh, we'll get worship up here. Jesus was so serious about learning the ability to forgive that he did something um, that's, that would, to me, seem diabolical. Like, oh, I can't believe you did that. I mean, it, it's, it, I, I mean, it was, I can't believe, right? Matthew 6. Uh, I'm a huge Matthew 6 fan, chapter 6 fan. It's been a very powerful chapter for me in the last four years, but this is verse 14 and 15, and this may be the hardest thing that Jesus has ever done. Like I said, it seems diabolical to me. It says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you, but, and this is a big but, don't make it weird. <laughs> if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let me say that again. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So wait a minute. How I forgive others determines how God forgives me. Hmm. That's some terrifying seesaw stuff there. So I can't just hate everybody. I just can't hate a few people. What I'm telling you is, in the same measure of forgiveness you've been forgiven, uh, which we understand this as Christians today, we call it grace. God says, I forgive you despite you. That's what grace is. (laughs) Well, I'm pretty good now. Uh, There is pride again, and I forgive that. Well, I haven't done anything bad, and there's your pride again, and I forgive that. Mm-hmm. there's your arrogance, I forgive it. Mm-hmm. And when you do something bad, you become a hypocrite, and guess what, I forgive that too. Yeah. So in the same measure you're forgiven, you're supposed to forgive others. And if you don't forgive like that, then God says, I'm not going to forgive like that. We don't like that scripture, so we try not to talk about it very much. This way we can still go on being mean to people at times when we need to. Like that person who's not going to give you your food right away when you go out to eat just now. And you're in Marble Falls. I'm going to tell you right now, if your heart ain't prepared for bad service here, something's wrong with you. I've been here for 10 years. I can be super nice to everybody. But I'm going to tell you, that first month here, that was hard. As you forgive others, that same measure unto you. Come on up, Rachel. Jesus tied all this together. He stapled forgiveness as a part of biblical discipleship. It should be a trait found in every disciple. Now, that's what I love about Jesus. Uh, we don't do this well enough as pastors to be honest and say, Jesus never said anything was easy. I don't know where that comes from, like the hard or easy stuff or what, but Jesus never promised you that life was going to be easy. Jesus never promised you that you would never suffer. Jesus never promised you comfort or any of those things. Matter of fact, if we wanted to be really honest, Jesus promised you that life was going to be hard. That the more you tried to pursue him, the more trouble you would find. Right? The more you tried to live a life that's godly and holy and right and pure, the more you're going to find yourself behind the culture. You know, I felt like the the Lord has spoken to me a word here lately, and it's been hold the line. I feel like like there's a standard that's 
that's the irony of it. It's being, it's starting to be called like, oh, you're just old fashioned or whatever. You're not relevant or not culture of it. No, I call it purity and holiness and righteousness. There are some that pursue it and some that don't. But I feel like if anything, God's been saying, hold the line. There's a way that is right. God never said it was going to be easy. I mean, think about it. After all, to forgive us couldn't have been easy. It cost Jesus his life. Forgiveness is the cross. That's, that's what it costs. I'm going to forgive them. And well, then somebody's got to pay the price. If you're wanting to redeem them, somebody's got to pay the price. And that's Jesus. It cost him his life. He died so that you could walk in forgiveness. Can you imagine how carefree he was, man? Peter betrays him. And he's like, you know, I love you, right? Totally rips Peter's heart in two. Just saying that. Because what, what are we thinking in that moment? How can you love me? You know me. I sat there and told you that I was going to always be here for you. And guess what? As soon as it got difficult, I left. The first time it got really hard when it was the one time that it mattered, guess what? I wasn't there. How can you say that? Isn't that the irony of God? Isn't that the love and grace of God that's, that mystifies us, right? That we can be so far from God, literally step f- foot back towards the altar, and God goes, man, I love you. Why aren't you beating me down like my mom or dad would do, right? Why aren't you guilt-tripping me, making me feel bad? That's what I, that's what I would expect when I forgive you. And that so mystifies us and so like blows our mind that we are smitten by God. We are like Peter, troubled. The fact that Jesus keeps asking, I love you. Do you love me? Do you love me? Yeah, Jesus, I love you. He died so that we could walk in forgiveness. And as someone who walks in forgiveness, you get to now live in the freedom that forgiveness provides. No knife in your back. That's gone, right? You get to walk in it now. Peace and joy right? doesn't mean you're around those people that hurt you. It means that they're behind you now and you've moved on and you walk in the freedom of pursuing the Lord and looking at everything through the Lord's eyes, being, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your heart so that you speak forgiveness and you speak love, that you speak kindness, even about your enemies, even about your enemies. Jesus called us to love them. This is, this is the, the, the power of forgiveness. It changes hearts. I remember uh, last little story, and I want to do some worship. Uh, the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. did some research a long time ago on him, and one of the things that he talked about that I was so good, he goes, you know, how do I, the question to him was, how do you deal with, how, are you, how do you deal with racism? the way you do and how how is it that you're so overcoming he goes you know what i've had to do these men who yell such obscenities to me and these men who yell such uh, horrible things to me and my family or the threats that they make most of these men i know here in the south they all go to church and he says while we obviously don't interpret the bible the same he goes there's one thing where God calls me to love my enemies. Here's how I can love them. I look at least they're devoted towards the Lord. And I know that if they continue to walk and focus in on the Lord, they'll eventually reach the place where they learn the truth. 
And in their shame, they'll come to the Lord and the Lord will forgive them and he will love them and he'll still expect me to love them as well. But I focus in on the good things that I see in them so that I can take that part of them and love them. Because it's easy to see the bad things and wonder how can I love such horrible things. And he said, well, focus on the good things that you do see, the things that can bring you together. Well, I, he's, he's like, well, I could appreciate their devotion. Whether it's, whether it's just something they hate or anything, they have, a, they have like, it's like, say, say the instance for me is the same way when I see a strong-willed kid. Some people, they'll see a strong-willed kid and go, I don't want anything to do with that. But what I see is a person that if God can put the bit in their mouth, right? If they'll let God put the bit in their mouth, they become business owners. They, be, they become people like people who strive for excellence and they, they don't let the world detour them. They, they keep pushing and pushing. Why? Because they got strong will. That horrible thing that's unmatured and, 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 and so uh, scary when it's young, right? Because you can't break it, right? When it gets older and gets disciplined and, and, and wisdom comes into it and they allow God to, to put the bit in their mouth and drive it a little bit, oh my gosh, they become unstoppable. Those are, they become successful people. Successful people, I would argue, are just wise, strong-willed people. <laughs> Period. Usually the ones that aren't very successful are the ones that allow laziness and everything else, and they just they put off what they could do today till tomorrow, and tomorrow never comes. Strong-willed people get things done. They're too stubborn not to. <laughs> God can use them, too. Look at Peter. Peter's stubborn. Even after he denied him, he's still out there though doing it, wasn't he? Even after all that, he was still out there going and moving, 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 just praying Jesus would forgive him. And Jesus never had to say anything. And today, I'm going to tell you right now, he doesn't have to say anything to you now. He's not going to say, he's not going to guilt trip you this morning. When we get to sing the worship, there's no guilt from Jesus this morning. The only thing you're going to find in worship this morning is forgiveness, love, and the grace of God. And that alone, we should be so overwhelmed by that, by forgiveness from God for all of our shortcomings. Right, which is feeling the grace of God. The grace of God becomes the catalyst for change in you. And then all of a sudden we go back to week one. When that grace changes you, your words will change too. That's the power of words. That's the power of forgiveness. Let's worship this morning.